I want to just read from Matthew uh, chapter 6. I believe it's going to come up there. There we go. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read from verse uh, 5. And words of Jesus. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also are forgiven the debt, our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For you are, uh, sorry, sorry. For for if you forgive others, other people their sins against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you. I want us to look today at, at the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we don't sort of say the Lord's Prayer a lot. Um, I don't think there's harm particularly in that. Some churches say it all the time, and I go like one or two more here, preaching in sort of Methodist-type churches where we do say the Lord's Prayer. And, um, and I think it, it, it bears looking at, and we don't do it too often. I, I can remember uh, when I was in the uh, senior school, or what they call high school today, and um, went into... a. Uh, an RE lesson, actually we called it RK, it was religious knowledge. And by the way, when we had RK lessons, it was Bible. It was always Bible. And, you know, I'm so glad for that. It doesn't happen today. Uh, but it went into this, this RK lesson, and um, Mr. Brown, the, uh, the teacher, gave everybody a piece of paper and a pencil. And he said, I want you to write down the Lord's Prayer. So we all wrote down the Lord's Prayer. Then afterwards, he marked all the papers, and we had some laughs over some of the things that some people had written. And out of a class of 30, only six got it right, which is ironical, really, because we recited it every morning at assembly. But they didn't know it. I think we need to know the Lord's Prayer. The, it's, it's, uh, it is, I mean, it came from Jesus. Jesus, Jesus taught this. He didn't say, say this prayer all the time, but no, no harm in that. But he, he didn't say, say this prayer all the time, but he said, pray like this. Pray in this manner. It was an example of how we should pray. And, you know, when you look at it, it is beautifully set out. There's an introduction, uh, six petitions, three 
regarding God and three regarding our needs and then a conclusion, which is a beautiful sermon set out. And he's done very beautifully. I once did a whole series on the Lord's Prayer and it took weeks and weeks and weeks of Sunday mornings. And today I'm going to try to put it all into half an hour. Well, half an hour, uh, maybe. You're all right till about one o'clock, are you? Well, anyway, let's look. Let's look. Praise God. Let's look at the introduction. You see, Jesus, Jesus introduced us to God as a father. Now, in the Old Testament, uh, we can go back into Genesis, and there in Genesis, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they knew God as the El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty. And that's what he is. In fact, if we look into Exodus, uh, God speaking to, uh, to Moses actually said, I appeared, appeared, I appeared, not spoke, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as Lord God Almighty. But by my name, Jehovah, I was not known to them. But you see, God made his name known to, to, to Moses. Moses said, you know, what, what is your name? If you're going to send me to, to, to set the people free, what is your name? What, is, what if they say? Who are? And he said, my name is I am who I am, which is Jehovah. Uh, I know if we want to get really Hebrew, we can say Yahweh, but uh, Jehovah. Uh, and all the way through the Old Testament, he was known as Jehovah, except, of course, that the Hebrew people thought that his name was too holy to use, and so they called him the Lord. And that's why in our Bible we read the Lord, and all the time is the Lord. But when Jesus came, when Jesus came, he brought a different picture. And he introduced God Almighty as our Father. He brought it more personal. He is our Father. He is all God Almighty, but he's our Father. Jehovah's Witnesses came to my house once and well <laughs> let's face it there have been a few times and I don't mind talking to them Gene usually says you go you know, I don't mind talking to them you know. and one, one, this particular time one man said to me what's God's name now I knew what he was getting at I said uh, Jehovah he said well why don't you use his name I said well Jesus didn't Jesus didn't, and when the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray, he didn't say, oh, Jehovah, he said, our Father. And Jesus brings God to our level in this respect, that he is our Father. Our Father we can trust in, we can be intimate with, that we can talk to, and he listens to us. Our Father. Our Father, which art in heaven. Well, you know, when we look at our Father as being in heaven, a lot of this, this prayer, and we will see as we go through this prayer, that, oh, there are some things that our human minds are not very clever at understanding. I mean, try to understand God. See, God is, God is holy. Now, we can all say that God is holy, but I have a problem with that. 
Oh, not that he's holy, but how do we, in our language, describe the holiness of God? How does our mind understand the holiness of God? It's beyond what we can understand, what we can really conceive, that God is holy, holy. Uh, whenever I think about the holiness of God, I always think about Moses, coming back to Moses again. And Moses, of course, was looking after his father-in-law's sheep in the desert. And God appeared to him in a burning bush. Now, and let me just make a point here. You know, very often God will put burning bushes in our lives to get our attention. Think about that because so often God doesn't have our attention. There are so many other things on our minds and in our lives that God needs to give us a burning bush to get our attention. And from the burning bush, he called out Moses. Moses. And by the way, when he says it twice, it means it's important. Moses, Moses. Moses said, yes, I'm here. And he said, take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. Is in the desert? Holy ground? What made it holy ground? The presence of a holy God. And God makes our ground holy ground. But you know, something troubles me, and it has for years, and I've said this many times. You know, so often we can come into the presence of a holy God without taking our shoes off. Now, I'm not meaning that we should be uh, like the Muslims when they come into the, the, uh, uh, no, the temple, what do they call it? Mosque. Mosque, thank you. The word goes for me. It's, it's age, you know. That's, that's what it. Into the mosque. And they'll leave the shoes. Now, I'm not meaning we should do that, and I'm, that isn't the criticism, of the criticism of the Muslims either. That's their conviction. But no, you see, we walk. When our shoes talk about our walk in the world, and we're walking in this world and we're getting all the dust of the earth on our feet. All the untruths and all the evils and all the temptations and, and, and the sins and, and everything. And, and we get angry and we get... Oh. And then we bring it all into the presence of God. We need to leave it outside. And not pick it up again when we go out. To come into the presence of God. We take our shoes off. We take off what we've picked up from the world. And let's come into his holy presence. God is holy. It's the ruler of everything. Our father in heaven. The ruler of all we could say a lot about. That is powerful. I always say when I'm trying to describe God that he is the three omnis. He's omnipresent, he's omniscient, and he's omnipotent. Omnipresent means that he's everywhere all at the same time, and all the time. Uh, omniscient means there is nothing that he doesn't know. Nothing he doesn't know, nothing at all. He knows what you're thinking. In fact, he knew what you were thinking now before he made the world. Nothing he doesn't know. An omnipotent all-powerful, all-powerful. There's nothing at all that God cannot do. Nothing that God cannot do. He's a great God. This is our Father who is in heaven. I'm glad also that we can say that he's loving. 
He's a loving God. God is love. You know, God could be all of those attributes and many more, but he could, he could still be a tyrant. But he isn't because God is love. God is love. Ah, the, the, the many scriptures about the, 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 the love of God. I love that one in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, where it says, God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, what a love that is. What a love that is. And of course, God so loved the world, so loved the world that he gave. He, he saw how, how, how mankind had so destroyed his creation, but he so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Paul, uh, in, in that great, wonderful chapter, Romans chapter 8, I think it's one of the greatest chapters in the scriptures, Romans chapter 8, and he says this, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither present, nor the future, nor powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, our Father, which art in heaven. Oh, my God. You know, Oh, well, I'm trying to fit it into the time today, you see. That's the introduction. Right, three uh, petitions. Three petitions regarding God himself. And they all bring glory to God. And first of all, it says that hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. This is our prayer. We want God's name to be hallowed. I looked up in the dictionary. I knew what it meant, but I looked up in the dictionary to see what, what hallowed means. It means to uplift, to exalt, to honour. Do we do this when we worship? Yes. We exalt the name of God. Lift him up. Hallowed be thy name. You know, uh, names in, in Bible understanding were not like we know. You know, we just have a, a title uh, that's identification. But there in the Bible, it, it brought out personality and character, behavior. And when we think about, for instance, Isaac, uh, sorry, not Isaac, Jacob. Jacob, his name means a cheat, a swindler. That's what Jacob means. And it was when and he did twindle it, and he really was a cheat. But but when God took hold of him, he said, You'll no longer be Jacob. You'll be Israel, a prince with God. He changed his name because he changed his character. But I mean, we have names. I can, do you know, the, the, the things that just stick in your mind. I, I can't remember how long ago this was. When there was a lot of trouble happening in North, Northern Ireland. And uh, it was on the news that some terrorist had set a bomb off and killed several people and some. And, and his name was Emmanuel. God with us? I don't think so. See, names in the Bible mean, have a meaning, and they mean far more than just a title. And God's name, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. 
Jehovah Nissi, the Lord my banner. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is here. And there are 12 of those. 12 of those, those Jehovah names. And, you know, we want to lift up the name of, of our God. We want to exalt his name. Hallowed be thy name. But, you know, when we pray this, we're not changing God. He can't be changed. He's absolutely ultimate. There is nothing about God that could be measured without being measured in infinity. Everything about, it, about him is infinite. Infinity. When we pray this, we're not changing him. We're changing ourselves. We're changing our attitude to him. We're changing our approach and our thought towards him. And, you know, as we grow in God, more and more we recognize that God is so wonderful. Hallowed be thy name. And, you know, all of these, uh, these petitions all seem to link in together. And because Jesus taught us again to say, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. We need, we need to recognize that we are living in the kingdom of God. Jesus is first. Uh, oh, Jesus said so much about, the, about the, 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 the kingdom of God. His very first recorded sermon was, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, people think about the kingdom of heaven as being up there somewhere. I remember, some of you might remember, first man to fly in space, Yuri Gagarin. He went and circled the earth. And he said, oh, what a beautiful sight. But he said, I can't see God. We can't see God by looking in a direction. It's not geographical. You know, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then it says that he went throughout the, the villages and the cities and the towns preaching this good news of the kingdom. The kingdom is good news and it's good news for all of us. But it's here. You don't find it up there in space. The kingdom of heaven is near. And I do like the way that, you know, when... when Oh, the disciples were always asking him questions, weren't they? And we learned so much from them. The time when they came to him and said, oh, well, tell us about the, the end times. What's going to happen in the end, the last days? And, of course, uh, we read in John, uh, uh, sorry, not John, Matthew, Matthew chapter um, 24, where he said there will be wars and rumours of wars, pestilence, earthquakes. You know, I believe we're living in those days now. I believe we need to be very aware of God in these days and our relationship with God in these days. But then he went on to say, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations. It's the gospel of the kingdom. You know, preached to all nations. This is God's heart. I love that verse and I'm always speaking about it in Peter where it says that, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I do believe that we are going to see, in our day and age, very soon, I believe we're going to see a revival in this world like the world has never seen. I'm praying for it all the time. I believe it. 
you know, because there's a message of the kingdom that needs to get out there. Thy kingdom come. Jesus said of the kingdom, it is not of this world. I said that to, that to Pilate, didn't he? My kingdom is not of this world. Jesus also said to Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. You will not see the kingdom unless you are born again. It's so important. Do you know that's the most important thing in the whole of life? To be born again. To be born again. To know Jesus and to be able to see the kingdom of God. Jesus said, I'm, I'm sorry, I've got a list here and I can't get them all in. But anyway, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. Do you know, we spend so much time trying to get all these things. Now, you can make your own list of all the things that you'd like. I mean, Christmas lists, I mean, people are buying for Christmas these days, aren't they? But, but and what do people want? I don't, but do, you, do you know, God knows what you want. He knows what you need. And we, we spend all our time trying to get all of these things instead of seeking him Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus said that. All these things will be given. God knows what you need. Uh, some of you know um, uh, Pastor Terry Fanning. Yes? Um, well, I, I was talking to Terry one day. I've talked to Terry a lot. <laughs> I've worked with him quite a lot. You know. And one day he said, um, he said, I was, I was praying. I'm praying for something in particular. I don't know what. And he said, um, God spoke to me. He said, seek my face. He said, Lord, I am seeking your face. He said, you're not. You're seeking my hand. Think about it. Because so much, so much of the time, we're seeking God for what he's doing and what he can do and what we'd like him to do with his hand instead of seeking his face. God wants us to seek his face. He wants to be intimate with us. He wants us to be his friends. He wants us to be his children. He's our heavenly father. And he's able to provide whatever we need if we seek his face. Seek ye first the kingdom. Well, his face and the kingdom. How do you divide them up, you know? Because this is all God. Seek first the kingdom of God. The third one is very like it. The first petition. The third petition. Thy will be done. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will. The will of God. You know, the will of God is all important in everything that we do. Jesus, in all of these things, is always our best example. He's always our example in everything. I, 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 when I was preparing this, I remembered, oh, I can't remember where it came from, where, you know, it's one, another one of those things that stuck in my mind when I was younger at school. M learning about uh, a, a, an English general, General Gordon. 
Some of you may have heard of General Gordon. He was uh, a general at the time of the Crimean War, apparently. But um, uh, without talking about him too much, there was a time when he was observing uh, a sergeant training new recruits. And he, he saw how this sergeant was really getting loud and really getting very uh, uh, bossy with this young man who seemed to be getting more and more nervous because he was supposed to climb up this rope. And the sergeant was telling him to climb up the rope. And, and he got weaker and weaker and couldn't do it because of the sergeant's attitude. And General Gordon came onto the scene. He took the rope and he climbed up the rope. And he came down. He said to the young man, come on, you can do that. Come on, this is how you do it. And that young man climbed up that rope. And then the general turned to the sergeant and he said, never expect a man to do something you can't do yourself. Jesus never expects us to do anything we can't do ourselves. That he, that he doesn't do himself. And he was willing and he was always our example. When we say, thy will be done, it requires obedience. Obedience. Nobody was more obedient than Jesus. I mean, we could think of a number of occasions, but think about that time when he'd been in that upper room with with his disciples, but then they went and they went. He knew exactly what was going to be happening, and he went into the Garden of Gethsemane. He needed some strength. He needed some encouragement. He needed some help, and he took his disciples, and what did they do? They fell asleep. Ah, but Jesus had to carry this all on his own. He knew he had, and he went further, and he lay on his face, and he said, Father... If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. What a saviour. What a son of God. What a messiah we have. That he was willing to say, even if it costs me the cross, I've got to go and I've got to do it. Thy will be done. I, I, I'm going to just read a, a passage. I, I didn't prepare it to go on the on the screen, but um, I want to read about this. This is a passage that I just cannot get away from. It's a beautiful passage, and uh, I'm sure a lot of you know it. It's from Philippians in chapter 2. Listen to this. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. The same mindset who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He made himself nothing. And taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. My. I, I can't think of any other scripture uh, that, that describes 
Jesus in a, in, in a more wonderful way. He was God, but became obedient unto death. He is our example. And when we say, thy will be done, we are saying, we are your subjects. We will be obedient to you. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you think about that, it's a bit mind-blowing. Because let's face it, in heaven things are totally different. There's no sin. There's no rebellion. There's no disobedience. Everything in heaven, as far as our minds can understand it, everything in heaven goes by God's will. And to pray that this will happen on earth... When we live in sinful flesh, in a wicked generation, in fact all generations have been wicked, how can the will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven? Well, it can in your heart and in mine. You see, obedience isn't always getting it right. I think about one of my favorite Bible characters, David. David, God called him a man after my own heart. But I tell you what, I hope that I'm never found guilty of some of the things that he did. But you know, even with his greatest sin, God forgave him and received him. Why? Because he loved God with all his heart. It was his desire to be what God wanted him to be. We could think about that and apply it to ourselves. I don't get everything right. I make mistakes. I do things wrong. I sin. And thank God we've got an advocate with the Father when we sin. We don't get everything right. But God looks, man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. And we can say, thy will be done on earth, or at least in my life and in my heart, as it is in heaven. Three petitions regarding God and the times going on. Somebody put that clock in top gear. But anyway, we, we, we'll move on. We come to three petitions regarding ourselves. And let's, let's just face this. Let's see this, because, you know, we cannot come with our petitions and asking God for what we need and what we want before we first put God in his rightful place. <laughs> the words go from, yeah, um, hallowed be thy name, lift up his name, build up his kingdom and desire his kingdom. Be willing to be obedient, thy will be done. And when we develop this condition and this place then we can come to him and we can ask but you know we can ask first it's so many times and we haven't even considered who God is we must know who he is where he is what he's all about and we need to be committed to him before we can truly come and ask for what we need and anyway Jesus Jesus here gives us three petitions that we ask for ourselves give us this day our daily bread 
Now, let's face it, when it says our bread, it really, really is meaning all of our needs. It's just a word that means all. Give us every day. Now, Jesus didn't say, ask God for a month's supply. No, he said, this day, our daily bread. Now, we've, we've, we've gone past a very difficult time. Uh, the COVID period. Remember when COVID first came? And nobody was ready for it. Nobody had met it before. Didn't know what to do. And there were all sorts of things. And now the, the, and then the government gets criticised for doing this and he didn't do that. And I wouldn't want wanted to be the government at that time. But the time came when they said that all those over 70 should stay at home. Because they're vulnerable. Well, I have to admit that we had some pressure from our family. But we stayed at home. We did stay at home. And family and friends, they did the, the shopping for us. And do you know, our shopping list didn't vary very much to what it normally is. But people were going there and panic, 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 let's empty the shelves. And took everything. That's greed. Jesus didn't say, ask for a multi-supply. And we didn't put on our list, oh, we want 20 tins of beans and 500 toilet rolls. <laughs> Give us this day our daily bread. This teaches us to trust God every day, a day at a time. And then tomorrow, when we've learned to trust him, we can trust him again. And we can trust him all the time. And I'll tell you what, we never, ever went without. I, I could tell you lots of stories of God's provision, but there isn't time this morning. God provides. And God knows what you need before you ask him. Here it is. Give us this day our daily bread. Let's move on. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This is the hard one, isn't it? Well, it is. It is. Forgive us our trespass. There, there, there are two points about this, about the, the, this petition. Uh, one is that it's the only one, or the only bit of, of this prayer that requires any action from you and me. Everything else is aimed at God. But in this case as we forgive those who trespass against us. And that's not always easy, is it? But the other point about it is it's the only part of the prayer that Jesus repeats again and re-emphasizes after the prayer. And he says, because if, if, if you forgive those who sin against you, God will forgive them, forgive you. But if you don't, he won't forgive you. But Jesus puts a lot of emphasis on this. It is hard. And we think about this. Because, because, you know, we know that God forgives our sins. And we, if we are saved and we've been born again, our sinful nature has been changed and we, our names are written in heaven and we are saved. We are saved. Our penalty for sin has been, has been paid. But, you know... We still sin on this earth. I talked about this when I talked about the shoes. We, we walk in this earth. We walk in this world. 
and there are temptations and there are all kinds of ways that we can fall. But the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we can count on God being faithful in forgiving our sins, but he does say that we should forgive those who sin against us. There's a story in John's Gospel which I think beautifully illustrates this. That time, we've already just mentioned it in passing, uh, when Jesus met in that upper room to celebrate the, the Passover with his disciples. Only the night before he was arrested and crucified and he knew exactly what was going to happen. And the disciples were with him and they, they sat at the table. And uh, by the way, I, I, you might have seen the picture of uh, uh, Jesus with the disciples sitting at the table. It's a long table like this and all the disciples. Uh, really, that is not the correct picture. In any case, you look at those disciples, they're all old, grey-bearded, bald-headed men. His disciples were young lads, you know? And they didn't sit at a table like that, they lounged on the floor. But Jesus came around the table with his disciples, and he noticed something. They all had dirty feet. Now, in these houses, I'm sure you know this, but we'll just describe it for, for those who maybe don't know. But in the houses, they would have pots of water. And as you came in, there would be a servant to take a bowl of water and wash your feet because you've been walking. I mean, let's face it, the dust. And the, no, nobody had big shoes like we have or anything like that. And if you wore anything on your feet, it was only sandals. So you had dirty feet. And so... When, the, when they came into this room, none of the disciples really felt that it was their responsibility to wash anybody's feet. It was below them. It should be a servant's job and there was no servant. So Jesus got up from the, it says the table, took off his cloak. He put a towel around him and got a bowl of water and commenced to wash the feet of his own disciples. Now, it doesn't say that anybody commented, but they must have all thought. But of course, when they got to Peter, oh, Peter could never be quiet about anything. And Peter, he said, Lord, you're going to wash my feet? You will never wash my feet. I mean, this is inverted snobbery. You will never wash my feet. I noticed Jesus didn't offer to wash his feet. Uh, sorry, Peter didn't offer to wash Jesus' feet. No, you will not. And Jesus said, uh, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Oh, oh, well, typical Peter, other extreme. Oh, well, wash my hands and my head as well. Uh, no, Jesus said, and he really described something very beautifully. He said, those who have had a bath only need to wash their feet. Because they're clean. And you were clean. Meaning, of course, that he was saved. His sins were forgiven. But we're walking on the earth. And so he allowed Jesus to wash his feet. And so what Jesus was doing was washing off the dirt of today, of the, 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 the soil of the earth, the sins, the anger, the frustrations, 
Uh, you don't get those things, though, do you? No, not really coming to Billings, you know. But, and he washed them. But then he went and he put the things away and he came back to the table and he said this. You call me Lord and Master. And so you should because that's what I am. But I, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet. You've seen what I've done. You will be blessed if you do the same. It's washing people's feet. Are you looking at me with that Billings look? Are you, are you, you get what I'm saying? Yes? No? Oh my goodness. Okay. They said, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. By the way, you'll have noticed I am taking the usual version of the Lord's Prayer as we go through. We need to be a forgiving people and God will forgive us. Let's not talk any more about unforgiveness because it, is a, it certainly is a big thing, but we've got to move on. Lead us not into temptation. This would give the impression that God does lead us into temptation. Uh, he doesn't really. See, what, what this is, if we really read it in its, in its true meaning, it's, it, it means help us and strengthen us when we come into temptation. Lead us away from temptation. And we, we used to sing a hymn years ago, Yield Not to Temptation. Anybody know that one? For yielding is sin. Each victory will help us some other to win. Fight manfully onward. Dark passions subdue. Look ever to Jesus. He will carry you through. Lead us not into temptation. Save us from the time of temptation. Help us, Lord, to be strong in temptation. There's a. Uh, let me just turn to that one as well. It's only just here. A verse, and I'll quote it right then. Oh, mm -hmm. Goodness, I'm even forgetting where it is. It's Oh, right. Okay, never mind. Let me, oh, here it is. Here we are. No temptation, this is, this is Paul speaking to the Corinthians. No temptation has taken you except what is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way of escape that you're able to bear it. In temptation, God is with us. And he'll not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can, we, we can cope with. But temptations are there all the time. Well, the, the world is full of temptations. Life is full of temptations. Jesus was tempted. We'll come back to that in a minute. But Jesus was tempted. And we are tempted too. But we ask God, help us through these times of temptation and deliver us from evil. Uh, I like the, uh, you know, very much like the King James in most of this, but I like the, the NIV in this. It says, um, keep us from the evil one. The evil one, who we know, of course, is Satan. 
keep us from the, the strength of the evil one. Jesus, when praying in that beautiful prayer in John chapter 17, he prayed for his disciples and he said, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but I pray that you keep them from the evil one. In so many ways, and I know we could go very deep into this, how God will save us from coming under the power of Satan. Peter said, be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, is seeking whom he may devour. And how we have to be on our guard. But our guard is our God. And this is where we are. Oh, I'm not covering it very fully, but we come, I think, to an important part of the prayer. Three petitions about God, three petitions of our, of our own needs, and I haven't really covered it very well, but we come to the conclusion. And I'm sure, and I'm, sure I'm right in saying that a lot of people, when they recite this prayer, and many people only just gabble it off, thinking they're doing God a favour by saying it. But when they get to this bit, they think, oh, well, the prayer's nearly finished. Let's just finish these last two lines and it's done, you know. This is the conclusion. And I think what gives power to, these, to, 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 the, to this last bit of the prayer is one little word. One little word, a three-letter word, for. For. Meaning because. Now, all that we prayed can be made valid because. Because what? Now, there are five declarations here, and I believe that these are very important in this prayer. For. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Five declarations. The prayer is only valid because thine is the kingdom. Now we've said quite a bit about the kingdom and I don't want to press too much about this but you know we have to recognise that through everything and right from the beginning God has never ever lost his sovereignty. He is still the king of heaven and always has been. Do you ever consider authority? Authority. Quite an important subject, really. If I might just give a quick outline. God created the heavens and the earth. He put man on earth. Now, Satan is the only person who tried to rebel against God. Now, this... Do you know that sin began in heaven... I know if, if people ask, what, is the, what was the first sin? They'll say, well, Adam ate the apple. It wasn't an apple, but anyway. No, the first sin was Lucifer's rebellion against God, and it was in heaven. That was the first sin. It was pride. Think about it, pride. It's a big sin, and it caused all the trouble right from the start. But Lucifer didn't succeed in heaven and he came down to earth as Satan or appeared as a snake and he thought well I'll have a go on earth then and this time he succeeded 
because he persuaded Adam to obey him instead of God. Now, God had put Adam on the earth and he'd given him all authority over all creation, all the animals, all the, 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 the growth and, and the, the plant life. and He'd given him authority over everything. But Adam surrendered that authority to Satan when he bowed and obeyed him. See, Paul says, you know, you are the servant of whatever you serve. And he gave his authority to Satan. Now, we could say, oh, no, Satan didn't have all authority. Well, okay, think of it this way. I mentioned earlier that Jesus was tempted. One of those temptations, by Satan, one of those temptations was that he showed him all the kingdoms of the earth. And he said, I will give you all of this because it's mine to give if you'll bow and worship me. Jesus didn't say it's not yours. Because Jesus knew it was. He had the authority. He was the king of the earth. He was the, the prince of the power of the air. Everything was in Satan's control. Except, of course, we do have to note that Satan could only do what God gave him permission to do. And we can learn that from certain scriptures, but we're not going to that just now. But he tempted Jesus. See, Jesus knew that he came to earth to be a king and a ruler. But he knew that the way was through the cross. And he was an easy way. No cross. No cross. Satan said, bow down and worship me and I'll give you all of this. And I think about it, Jesus was tempted. He was tempted. But I'm glad that he won the battle over temptation. And he said, no, worship the Lord your God, and him only shall thou serve. Get thee behind me, Satan. And Jesus went, was willing, and went the way of the cross, knowing exactly what he was going to have to bear. And it was after he was crucified and after he had risen from the dead that Jesus was able to say to his disciples, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Because he had paid the price. He'd bought it. And we see then in Revelation. Revelation, remember how John uh, uh, was, uh, he saw the one in the throne and there was a... Uh, a scroll. This scroll appeared. And this scroll was written inside and out. And it had seven seals. And the voice came and said, Who is worthy to open the scroll? And no one in heaven or on earth was worthy to open the scroll. And John said, I wept and wept and wept. Why did he weep? Because he knew what this scroll was. You see, this was the, the, the title deed of the earth that Satan had had power over. And one of the elders said to John, don't weep, because the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed to open the seals. And John said, I looked to see a lion and saw a lamb, a lamb that had been slain. And the lamb was able to open the seals because he had the authority because he had paid the price. And I love that 
that bit in, uh, do you remember how, well, if you know Revelation, there were the seven seals, then there were seven trumpets, and the last angel blew his trumpet in, uh, in chapter 11, and it said, when the, when the last angel blew his trumpet, it says, the kingdom of this, and by the way, kingdom, not kingdoms of this world, but kingdom, because it was the kingdom that Satan held. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Does that excite you? Yes, it does me. Yes, the kingdom of our God, of this world, has become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Thine is the kingdom. Let me just, in finishing on thine is the kingdom, I've got some more to go yet, but half an hour what? oh never mind listen to what David said David I've already said you know the man after God's own heart I mean he did a lot of things wrong but he loved the Lord with all his heart and one of his great desires was to build a temple for the Lord he'd seen how the tabernacle it had done its job yeah in the wilderness but now it had failed and it was empty. Even the, the, the Ark of the Covenant wasn't there anymore. But the people were still going there to worship. But he wanted to build a temple for the Lord. And the Lord said, no, I'm glad that you have the desire. It's in your heart. But you will not build it because you're a man of war. No, your son will build it. Now, a lot of people have been, would have been very upset about that, but no, he wasn't. He was delighted. His son would, would build it because God had heard the desire of his heart. Now, even though God had said, you will not build a temple, David spent many years preparing the materials for this temple, getting things ready. All the rocks, all the jewels, all the colours, everything, everything. And David did all that he could to prepare for this temple. And eventually, when David was very old, younger than me, actually, but there we go, um, he handed over the kingdom to his son Solomon. And he brought all that he had stored up for this temple for Solomon to build. And listen to this. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our, of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, O oh God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And who are my people that we should give so generously? David, the greatest king who ever reigned in this earth. But when he came in the presence of God, he said, who am I? Who am I? You know, we should approach God in that way. He's our Father. Jesus said he's our Father. But we come to him and say, well, Lord, who am I that I should approach you? But he receives us all the same. I'm going to have to be quick. Thine is the kingdom. Thine is the power. 
Oh, without going into the power, and I've got notes here for it, but his is the power. There are men in this world today who have got nuclear weapons and think they've got power. That's not power. We have a God who is all-powerful. You know, God, uh, through the ages there have been uh, uh, kingdoms, there have been empires, but they've all fallen. They've all fallen. But you know, God reigns. And he, he is the power. Let's, let, let's move on. Let's just look at... And thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. I've got to say a little bit about the glory. The glory of God. Well, I say, say a bit, but... I mean, we try to describe the holiness of God. How do we, do we describe the, the glory of God? If ever there was a man who was very intimate with God, it had to be Moses. And Moses would go into that mountain and they would have conversations, you know. And God would speak to him. And on one of these occasions when he was having this close relationship, this fellowship with God, Moses said, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And God said, look, there's a, there's a cleft in the rock. I'm going to stand you there in that cleft in the rock and I'll put my hand over you, cover you with my hand while I pass by. And when I pass by, you'll be able to see me from the back, but you can't see my face. Because the glory of God is too great for us to look at. But more than once, Moses came down from the mountain to the people and he had to have a veil on his face because his face shone with the glory of God. Shone with the glory of God. How does your face shine today? I'll just leave that with you. I'll just leave, yeah. But you know there are other, there's another way in which we can look at the glory of God. When we come together, and we worship. We're giving glory to God. And we say, who am I to give glory to God? But you know, we give glory to God. I believe that the, the, the earlier part of this meeting today, you know, I, I felt, I've sensed the presence of God. You know, where we have a, a, a part of our meetings when, when the, that we call worship, the time of worship. And generally it's singing. Um, Okay, I'm not criticizing that, but you know, all singing isn't worship. And all worship isn't singing. Worship is something that comes from here. Do you know, you can go into the liveliest uh, Hillsong type of church and you can feel empty. And you can go into a dead church whether we read everything out of the book without any feeling and say the Lord's prayer without any feeling and you can find God because it's a thing that's between me and him this is worship and this is giving glory to God who is worthy of it oh we could, we could talk so much about it but one more, de- well, no, two more declarations. One more declaration is that all of this is forever and ever. 
Now, we, we, we talked about you know, the, the human mind not being able to, to, to understand the enormity of God, the infinity of God, but to understand eternity. I think I was saying to somebody just recently that, you know, man has only lived on this earth for 6,000 years. Uh, I'm not going into all to the science, scientific things about skeletons from, from millions of years ago. Man has only lived on this earth for 6,000 years. And we sing, don't we, 10,000 years and then forevermore. Well, even 10,000 years, you know, will finish. It'll come to an end. But evermore won't. And all of these things and all of these attributes of God, they are forever and ever. And I just want to assure you today, of, who am I to, to, say, <laughs> to tell you? <laughs> but when you're born again and you know the Lord Jesus, the time will come when you will leave this sinful flesh and this evil world and go into his presence, into his kingdom, his eternal kingdom, and uh, experience his power, and see his glory, and it will be forever and ever. Can you understand that? Because I can't. You know, but this is the promise of God. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory Forever and ever. That's five, de four decorations. I said five. Yeah. One more. Amen. Amen. Amen does not mean the prayer is finished. Amen means that I completely and absolutely and totally agree with everything that's been said. Be careful when you say amen. Because that's your signature on the bottom line. I agree. I agree. When we pray a prayer like this, we have to say amen. We have to say yes, Lord. Because you are our heavenly father. Oh, how wonderful. Praise God. When I was just a little boy, and I was once... I had a, a brother just a year older than me, and um, we used to kneel by our bed at night and we would say our prayers. Didn't know or didn't understand extemporary prayer then. Extemporary prayer, for those who don't understand, that's, that's speaking your own words without learning a prayer or reciting, but praying in your own words. But we would, we didn't know about extemporary prayer, but we would say the Lord's Prayer. But before we said the Lord's Prayer, we said another prayer. Some of you might know it. If you do, say it with me. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, look upon a little child. Pity my simplicity. Suffer me to come to thee. When you can truly from your heart say that prayer, you're qualified to say the Lord's Prayer. Okay, let's just pray now for a moment. Father, we thank you indeed that you are our Father.
We thank you, Lord, that, oh, God, your word and even this prayer teaches us so much about you, Lord. And we want to honor you, Lord. We want to exalt you, Lord. We want your name to be glorified. Oh, God, help us, Lord, just to come to you as your little children, our heavenly Father. And help us, Lord, to be what you want us to be in everything. In Jesus' name, amen.